Welcome, Weirdos. I'm your host, Jessica Fernando, and this is One Weird Chick. You wouldn't think much of the simple white duplex standing at 208 Meriden Avenue in Southington, Connecticut, if you drove past it. In fact, blink and you might miss it altogether. But for one New York family, two years in that house changed their lives forever. Back in 1987, I had a wonderful life, Carmen Snedeker reminisces in the sci-fi television series Paranormal Witness. Quote, I lived in a little small town in upstate New York with my husband, Alan, my four children, Brad, my daughter, Jennifer, and AJ. And then there was the oldest, Philip. End quote. At the age of 13, Carmen noticed that Philip had developed a small lump at the base of his neck. Her discovery was made on a Friday when the lump was the size of a pea. By Philip's appointment on Monday, the lump had grown to the size of a golf ball. After tests were run, Philip was diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma and given six months to live. Unfortunately, there were no childhood cancer treatment centers in the area. The closest cancer treatment center was a staggering 300-mile round trip away in Hartford, Connecticut. In the early days, the family was making the trip to Connecticut five times a week. Carmen stated that the radiation treatment was so strong, it turned Philip's skin black at the areas of contact. Carmen also says that Philip was violently ill going to and from treatment, and she was worried that the trip itself would kill Philip rather than the cancer. The Snedekers decided to relocate from their home in upstate New York, closer to the hospital in Connecticut. In 1987, it was difficult for a family to find a home, given that most places at the time wouldn't take a family over four people, and the Snedekers were a family of six. Eventually, they found a townhouse, and given the limited options, were forced to purchase it sight unseen. In her interview with Paranormal Witness, Carmen stated that she was apprehensive about going inside when the family finally arrived at their new home. So much so, that she sent her husband, Alan, to look inside before she would even get out of the car. When Alan returned 15 minutes later, he encouraged Carmen to join him inside. At first, everything looked fairly normal. But, upon further investigation, clues of the house's previous tenant began to give themselves away. Carmen quickly noticed that a crucifix had been hung over every entryway. Puzzled, Alan explained to Carmen that it appeared that the property had once been a funeral home. 
In the basement, Carmen and Ellen discovered a counter that ran around three walls of the room. In the adjoining room, they discovered a medical table and instruments used to prepare a body for burial, including an embalming machine. Most disturbingly, inside a closet, Carmen found a lift that was used to transport the coffins up to the viewing room on the ground floor of the property. With no other options available to them, Carmen and Ellen covered the entrance to the embalming room with a large bookcase to attempt to keep the house's morbid past a secret from their children. Ellen continued to work in New York, often staying there for weeks at a time, which left Carmen to fix up the house and look after Philip. With nausea as a common side effect of Philip's treatment, Carmen decided to set up his bedroom in the basement of the house as it had its own bathroom that he could use as needed. The first night in the house, Philip went down to his bedroom and Carmen went upstairs to call Ellen in New York. As she ended the call, she jumped when Philip suddenly appeared at her bedroom door. Philip explained that he had heard somebody calling his name and thought it might have been his mother. Carmen told him that she had been on the phone to his dad and that he had more than likely overheard his name being mentioned. Philip replied, quote, No, we have to leave this place and never come back. It's evil. End quote. Carmen helped her son back to bed and assured him that everything was fine. Curious in nature, Philip eventually discovered the embalming room and quickly realized that his family's home used to be a funeral home. When he told his brother Brad of his discovery, Brad quickly accused him of trying to prank him. To prove the house's origins to his brother, Philip led Brad to the embalming room, whose entrance had been covered by the large bookcase. Removing it, Philip guided Brad into the embalming room. Philip dared Brad to climb onto the embalming table, which, trying to impress his older brother, Brad did. Philip began to spin Brad around and around on the table, and only after a number of pleas for him to stop did Philip let his brother off the table. The next morning, Philip again coaxed Brad into exploring the house. The boys discovered the counters in the basement made an excellent tunnel to crawl through. Joined by their youngest brother, AJ, the children began to crawl, Philip leading the way, closely followed by Brad, with AJ following up the rear. AJ was the first to notice a stain on the ground. He touched it and said it felt like, quote, a dark, thick substance, and it was really sticky, end quote. Thinking it was blood, the boys panicked and went to get their mother. When she went to investigate, Carmen didn't find anything like the boys had described and laughed at them, stating, quote, Scared yourselves, didn't you? That's what you get for going in there. 
You had no business being in there anyway. End quote. As the days turned into weeks, and the weeks turned into months, things continued to get weirder and weirder. Philip continued to complain of hearing voices during the night, and soon after began reporting seeing things too. He had been so ill, and his body had been under so much stress, that Carmen brushed it off as a side effect of his treatment. Philip began to become very withdrawn. Brad stated that he was woken one evening by Philip, who quietened his brother as quickly as he could. Philip whispered, quote, Look over in the corner. There's four guys sitting over in the corner. End quote. Reluctantly, Brad looked over and to his horror saw four hooded men talking in a low whisper. He was unable to see their faces at first, even when they simultaneously all looked directly at him. Philip and Brad rushed to inform Carmen of the intruders. Terrified for the safety of her family, Carmen went to investigate. She went room by room, but the hooded men were nowhere to be seen. Carmen called the police, but unfortunately, they didn't take the threat seriously. Shortly after her call to the police, Carmen noticed that one of the many crucifixes in the house had disappeared. In his interview with Paranormal Witness, Brad Snedeker, Carmen's middle son, states, quote, My mom noticed the crucifixes were disappearing off the walls, and we were getting the blame for it. We kept telling our parents we weren't doing it. It was whatever was in the house. End quote. Carmen called a family meeting and reiterated to her children that just because they lived in a house that was once a funeral home, it didn't mean it was haunted. Eventually, Philip took the blame for the missing crucifixes. He'd begun to act strangely, telling his brothers and sisters of the strange voices he had been hearing and claiming that their house was haunted. Philip continued to withdraw. He barely spoke or smiled. He moved his bedroom into what was once the embalming room. Philip's doctors stated that his odd behavior had nothing to do with his treatment, and Carmen was at a loss of what to do. Quote, I did not know how to deal with this other being, this person that he had become. I wanted my baby back to who he was. End quote. During the summer, Carmen's niece Tammy came to stay. Carmen was hopeful that her visit would help Philip, as he and Tammy were very close. In her interview with Paranormal Witness, Tammy explained that, quote, Everyone came to greet me at the door, except for Philip. I was kind of hurt. I wanted to hug him. I wanted him to be excited that I was there. He just wasn't. End quote. Philip became obsessed with his own mortality and death, and even kept a journal containing some very dark material. 
When his brother Brad asked to look at it, Brad claims that Philip just looked at him. A look so malicious in nature that it sent a chill up Brad's spine. Tammy offered to help clean Philip's room during her stay when she came across Philip's journal. She was shocked when she looked inside. Worried for his state of mind, Tammy gave Carmen the journal. Quote, There were very dark words, everywhere about death, murder, the word kill. It was very terrifying to read some of the dark thoughts that were going on in his head. End quote. It was at this point Carmen began to wonder if the entries in Philip's journal were his writings at all. Philip was dyslexic and had difficulty reading and writing. Quote, I had spent years trying to teach him to write the alphabet, let alone these complex words. End quote. When Carmen confronted Philip about the entries in the journal and asked him how he wrote them, Philip's response chilled her to her very core. Quote, the man helped me. End quote. One night, Carmen and Tammy noticed scratch marks on Philip's arms. When asked why he was self-harming, Philip responded, quote, I don't know why I'm doing it. I don't know that I'm doing it. Something's telling me to do this. End quote. As time progressed, Philip became more aggressive. One day, he provoked Brad, and when Tammy stepped in to intervene, Philip ran into the room where Tammy was staying and tore the place apart. He then turned his anger towards Tammy, who claimed he pushed her so hard that, quote, it threw me across the room, end quote. After this altercation, Tammy felt very unsettled in the house. During the night, Tammy reported that her bed sheets were being pulled off and her top was being lifted up. She stated that she felt very violated and frightened. Despite Tammy not being able to see what was taunting her at night, Carmen concluded it must be Philip. She didn't know what to do. Quote, I didn't know what to think or feel. I felt like a robot running on battery power. End quote. Alan was away for work in New York at the time, leaving Carmen with the ultimate decision of how to handle the situation. She was unprepared to believe Tammy had had an experience with a paranormal phenomenon and truly believed her son was acting out and continued to torment Tammy as a result of their earlier altercation. Carmen decided to call Philip's doctor and explained what had been going on. The doctor told Carmen that the behavior that Philip was presenting was associated often with schizophrenia. The doctor confirmed it was time to have him committed to a psychiatric hospital. That evening, the health professionals came to collect Philip 
They didn't knock. They just entered the house while the Snedekers were eating dinner. As they began to restrain Philip, he called out to Carmen, quote, Where am I going? What did I do? What's going on? End quote. Through tears, Carmen said she just kept saying, quote, I'm sorry. End quote. As they put him in the ambulance, he shouted to his mother, quote, Now that I'm gone, they're going to come for you. End quote. Philip would spend the next 45 days in hospital being treated for schizophrenia. For months, she had refused to believe any supernatural goings-on, but her son's words weighed heavily on her mind. She decided to put logic aside and confront the entity that might be plaguing her home. Carmen went down to Philip's bedroom and attempted to provoke whatever might be hiding in the shadows. Quote, All right, you son of a bitch. You want to play? You come play with me. End quote. Hours passed without anything happening. Later that evening, Tammy was again woken when her bed covers were yanked off. She ran to Carmen's bedroom and woke her. With Philip out of the house, Carmen seemingly had proof that something supernatural was going on, and her son was not to blame. As she ran to investigate, she noticed that all of the crucifixes had disappeared above each entryway. Carmen helped settle Tammy back in bed, and sat by her side reading aloud from the Bible. Suddenly, Tammy shut up and said, Aunt Carmen, it's coming. Can you feel it? It's coming. End quote. In her interview with Paranormal Witness, Tammy states that she felt a hand rise up under her clothing. Carmen said that she watched as the hand moved underneath her niece's clothes. Carmen says she could see the bones in the wrist and the knuckles of the disembodied presence. She grabbed Tammy picking her up and rushing her into the dining room. Together, Carmen and Tammy recited the Lord's Prayer. Everything was eerily quiet until Tammy's words broke the silence. Quote, Aunt Carmen, can you feel it? It's coming. End quote. According to Tammy, the rosary she was wearing began to levitate up off of her neck. As it dropped, the rosary snapped, littering the floor with its beads. At that moment, Carmen realized the error in having Philip committed. Carmen called the local church and explained the series of events leading up to what had just happened. Fortunately, the church believed her story and advised her that they would send members of the clergy the next day to perform an exorcism. Overwhelmed with relief, Carmen began to calm down. She went to take a shower before attempting to go back to sleep for the evening. However, her relief was short-lived as she felt the shower curtain quickly wrap around her 
almost immediately, it cut off her oxygen supply. Try though she might, she was unable to escape. The plastic was completely tight around her face and was seemingly tightening by the second. Thankfully, Tammy heard her aunt's struggle and raced at her aid. The more Carmen screamed, the tighter the curtain clung. Tammy pulled and pulled and was eventually able to tear through the curtain, allowing her aunt to breathe. As promised, two priests visited the home the next day, but allegedly became so frightened that they left. Soon after, world-renowned paranormal investigators Ed and Lorraine Warren caught wind of the Snedeker's issue and offered to help. The Warrens investigated the house and officially proclaimed it as possessed and infested with demons and evil spirits. The Warrens performed an exorcism to rid the home of evil. In October of 1989, two years after first moving into the property, the Snedeker family moved out. The guilt of what Carmen had done to her son, she claims, quote, was overwhelming, end quote. Of the first time she saw him after he had been released, Carmen says she held him and rocked him and rubbed his head, stating, quote, I'm so sorry, baby, end quote. After 24 years in remission, Philip's cancer returned. Sadly, he passed away in January of 2012 at the age of 38. Shortly before he died, Philip recorded an audio interview. Quote, Well, I told my mom from day one that the house was evil. My parents were believing me, and I guess, yeah, I became more fascinated with rather than frightened of the things that were in the basement. My mom's trying to be strong on one hand and do what she thought was right, you know, but I definitely felt a sense of betrayal. End quote. Since 1989, the Snedekers have told their stories many times. In 2009, the film The Haunting in Connecticut was released taking a staggering $77 million at the box office. The film's poster states in capital letters at the top that the movie is based on true events. The Snedeker story first came to light in the horror novelist Ray Garten's 1992 book, In a Dark Place, The Story of a True Haunting. Garten was hired by Ed and Lorraine Warren to work with the Snedekers and write the true story of their house from hell. He interviewed all the family members about their experiences and soon realized there was a problem. Quote, I found that the accounts of the individual Snedekers didn't quite mesh. They couldn't keep their story straight. I went to Ed with this problem. Oh, they're crazy, he said. You've just got some of the story. Just use what works and make up the rest. Just make it up and sound scary. End quote. The house still stands today 
at 208 Meriden Avenue in Southington, Connecticut. The current owner has not reported any disturbing visions, save for the rubbernecking tourists who drive by hoping to catch a glimpse of some ghouls. The Snedekers still stand by their story and their experiences while in their home. Thank you for joining me for another episode of One Weird Chick. I'm your host, Jessica Fernando. And until next time, stay spooky. Today's episode of One Weird Chick was edited by Bethany Dickens Asaf. One Weird Chick's opening theme is created by Brielle Johnson, and logo is by Lauren Adams. Follow One Weird Chick on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for more. <laughs>